Welcome to Global Dispatches, a podcast about foreign policy and world affairs. I'm your host, Mark Leon Goldberg, editor of UN Dispatch. And in this show, we discuss topical global issues, have conversations with foreign affairs thought leaders and newsmakers, and give you the context you need to understand the world today. Go to globaldispatchespodcast.com to learn more. And now on with the show. In early October, a video began to circulate on social media in Nigeria depicting a gruesome act of police brutality. The perpetrators of the police violence were from a notorious police unit called the Special Anti-Robbery Squad, or SARS. As the video went viral, Nigerians voiced their own stories of being victimized by this police unit. The hashtag EndSARS was born. But the story does not end there. My guest today, Oloronrenu Odwala, helped transform this hashtag into a massive youth-led protest movement against police brutality in Nigeria. What started as a hashtag has become a concrete set of demands for police reform and accountability, around which millions of young people in Nigeria have mobilized. I wanted to do an episode on the End SARS or SARS Must End movement because I think it's a very important and interesting example of how a protest movement led by young people may have a potentially transformative impact on good governance in the most consequential country in the region. Nigeria is by far the most populous country in sub-Saharan Africa. Something like one in every six people in Africa live in Nigeria. It also has a very young population. So to the extent that a massive youth-led protest movement can inspire rule of law reforms, that's a very big deal. We kick off discussing the genesis of this movement and how a relatively small protest that Renu Odwala participated in outside the police commissioner headquarters in Lagos, Nigeria, morphed into the massive street protests we're seeing in Nigeria today and solidarity protests around the world. Today's episode is supported in part through a grant from the Carnegie Corporation of New York to showcase African voices on peace and security issues. To view other episodes as part of the series, please visit globaldispatchespodcast.com. You can also get in touch with me on the website using the contact button. I love hearing from you. Please send me your suggestions of people I should interview or topics I should cover, or send me thoughts about anything else that is on your mind. I love hearing from you. All right, now here is my conversation with Olo Renu Odwala. And you can find her on Twitter at Savvy Renu, and I'll post a link to her Twitter feed in the show notes of this episode. Here she is. Looking for a trustworthy podcast to bring you unfiltered viewpoints and experiences on global health? Tune into Global Health Matters, the podcast that connects silos and amplifies diverse voices to give you a holistic picture. Each month, Dr. Gary Aslanian from the World Health Organization hosts discussions with guests spanning former ministers of health, award-winning journalists and authors, and frontline public health workers. Join listeners from across 180 countries for an exciting Season 4, launching in June. Global Health Matters is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. 
if I could pinpoint the time, it was on the 4th of October this year. I mean, it's just this month when a video was post, posted online that in, in that video, you could you can see a speeding police van and a white Lexus SUV. According to the video, the owner of the SUG has just been sought, shot by the members of the Special Anti-Robbery Squad, SAS. And for some reasons, they left his corpse on the road and left in the car. This video sparked outrage, then the hashtag NSAS began to spread began to spread and trend in Nigeria. So as usual with this trend, people began to drop, you know, their own experiences with this same SAS and the hashtag gained traction. So so the hashtag started trending, but it, you know, it's one thing for a hashtag to start trending and it's another thing for people to actually take to the streets. Uh, and what's been impressive and, and stunning for me to see from the outside is just how this online movement migrated to occupy city squares and become like this mass in-person social movement. How did that start? After the hashtags started trending, people people got angry. There was anger, there was pain, you know, sharing experiences with the same hashtags. This was, this was too much. So people had no choice than to, than to just go on the streets. Um, people called for, for celebrities to lead the protest, and some of them did not due to reasons which I don't know. Then people thought, no, wait, why should these celebrities, why should they, why should they actually lead us? Celebrities don't actually need to come out before we start talking, before we start speaking, before we start telling our minds to the government. So um, I decided because I've, I've also experienced brutality at the hands of these criminals i decided to organize a 72 hour protest which was quite different from the norm of protests for you to come to the protest then go back home and all that i decided with some of my team members that we're going to be on the streets for three days here in Lagos, and we're going to be going nowhere until where our demands are met. You know, the usual is we, we, we envision and we expected that we're going to be approached by um, these government officials and they're going to tell us that they go, they, they'll work on it. So we refused to go with the norm of they're going to work on it. We decided that we're going to be sleeping on the streets because we envisioned that answer and we, we told ourselves, oh, if they say they're going to work on it, then we're going to tell them that, okay, go and work on it. We're here on the streets waiting for you to give us an answer. What were your demands? You, it sounds like you had some very specific demands when you organized that 72-hour protest on the streets. Uh, what, what, what were your specific demands? Um, our first and foremost important demand was an end to SAS. The second demand was um, compensation to be given to verifiable victims of SAS. And in general, the police NG, um, Nigerians that have experienced extortion, police brutality, and all this, we want compensation to be given to them, both dead and alive. Now, our third request was that we wanted 
transparent prosecution of all guilty officers, justice for people who have suffered injustice in the past, uh, a list of officers that have been held culpable should be published, public inquiry on the activities of the unit over the past one year. Before demand was um, the, adjustment, the unjust harassment of youths and victimization by police and issues stop with immediate effect. We asked also that all police officers be identified because right now, uh, mostly in Nigeria, you, 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 you can't tell the difference from a police officer and an armed robber because mm. there's no, they don't have means. Most of them don't have means of identification. I mean, let me not say most of them, but the ones we experience on the streets, they don't have means of identification. You just see some, they're just dressed in um, ordinary wear and they're with guns. And you don't know if <laughs> if the person is out to rob you or is a or, or is actually or is a police or maybe it's a policeman out to exactly. rob you. Exactly. I mean, it sounds like, you know, your demands are were very specific uh, to the government. How have they responded so far? Okay, like I said, the protest started um, in Lagos. The I mean, the 72-hour protest started in Lagos. On Wednesday um, last week, were the police headquarters in, here in Lagos. We demanded to see the commissioner of police. So um, we, we, we tried to... Were we buffed at some certain points in time because they kept telling us, oh, the commissioner of police is on an assignment, or oh, the commissioner of police on the tax. And, but, 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 but the thing is, we stood our ground and told them, oh, you can't tell us the commissioner of police is on assignment. He is on assignment to serve the people. The people are demanding to see him. So, um, after like about say ten hours to fifteen hours, the the commissioner of police came out. We had a petition ready for him. We gave him the petition and he addressed some of the concerns. But something notable is that he said that some of our demands are beyond his jurisdiction. So the the demands are in the hands of the lawmakers to effect. So we said, okay, the petition we submitted, we wanted to reach um, the table of the Inspector General of Police in Abuja within 24 hours. And we're going to be waiting here. We're going to be sleeping right outside um, the police headquarters, waiting for you to tell us if it has reached there or not. We're not, we're not just submitting the petition then go home. He tried to persuade us, oh, he's going to submit it. <laughs> We were tired. We were tired of it all. So we told him we're going to be waiting right there till we receive um, an answer that he has submitted it. So we slept out there in the rain, in the cold. Then the next morning, um, we decided to march to the State House of Assembly where our lawmakers are. So you marched from the police commissioner headquarters to the state house assembly after the police commissioner said that some of the demands that you were making were outside his jurisdiction. So you said, all right, we'll take this to the lawmakers. How have lawmakers so far responded to those demands? So um, after sleeping at the police headquarters on on Wednesday, on Thursday morning, we went to march to the lawmakers and... 
at first, I must confess, for my perception, the thoughts were were there to joke. Like, oh, just came to make noise and and go home. They didn't realize that they've met with a group of resilient Nigerians who wouldn't take no for an answer, who are tired of the injustice and killings. So we got there and it was a Thursday, we got there in the afternoon due to the long walk. And no, you know, nobody came to attend to us at first. We kept chanting, you know, making um, lots of chants. Then we started getting officials come out one by one. You know, um, lower officials came out. They tried to persuade us to submit the second petition. It was, it was almost the same, but this petition was addressed to the Speaker of the House. So they, they, they tried to get us to submit the petition to them so they could take it to the Speaker, but the their, their efforts were rebuffed at every point. So the at a point in time after after so many officials came out to persuade us, we had the deputy speaker come out and he said that the speaker was an assignment that he would like to receive the petition on the speaker's behalf. And we told him that we respect your officer, but who we came here for is actually the speaker. We do not want our petition to be abandoned on some table unattended to because that has happened so many times in the past. Now we want to see the speaker and be sure that um, our petition has got into him and he has to act on it immediately. So they said the speaker was not around, you know, and due to our, our resilience and our plan earlier, we said, okay, this speaker isn't around, we'll wait for him till he gets back. Even if it's in the midnight, he gets back, we'll be here waiting for him. So we waited and waited and waited, and some of the officials came out to persuade us. We said, no, we kept waiting until around um, 8, 8 p.m. in the night where we had the chief of staff to the governor come out, and he tried to address us. He also tried to persuade us to go home, but we said um, we, we wanted to see the speaker. So we asked him that we hope we save um, in front of the State House of Assembly waiting for the speaker. He said we have. So we said, okay, we'll wait. While waiting, um, a notable event happened around 11 p.m. where the protesters were about 43 in number who were just sitting down and, you know, just talking about what's going on. Then the police NG um, force came, you know, in full gear with about seven trucks. They came fully armed and they did not even talk to us. They just started taking down our tents. They started taking down our camping materials. They started... Um, Packing them into their vehicles and they took off with them. And some of them were on ground, some of them actually pointed guns at us. And it was a scary event because we didn't know what was happening. Nobody was talking to us. We're, we're being treated like, like terrorists. Mm. Like nobody knew we were there. Like we came to cause violence, you know, which we, which we never intended. And we're always reiterated at every official we met that we're not here to cause violence. This is a peaceful protest. We just came here to talk to our lawmakers. So we were scared. We all had to kneel down on the ground, holding hands. In fact, I mean, that night we, hope, we thought we were going to die. Mm. 
Oh, I mean the forty-three people without because it was all a scary situation. The lights um around the state house of assembly, they were all put off, they were all switched off. And we're in darkness, you know, with this fearful looking policeman pointing guns at us. I mean, it was a scary situation, but uh what I have to was that we had social media on our side. Mm. So we went online. Um the, the people that were not scared, we started making live videos, we started tweeting. We kept tweeting. We kept tweeting, we told our audiences that if we die here tonight, then just 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 this is what is happening, so that we can let you know that even if we we die, you guys can come out and talk. And I think that was that was the the turning point. That is what you could refer to as the spark, mm-hmm. because nowadays everybody is on social media. So when they saw it, everybody was hungry. That was the turning point. Everybody was angry that oh, we're protesting against police brutality, and you guys are still harassing these people. Why? So that it was that moment, the the police crackdown on a relatively small number of protesters. I think you said there were forty three of you outside the yeah. state house uh, being yes. cracked down on by police. Uh, that sparked this what is now just a gigantic social movement throughout the entire country of Nigeria or most major cities, I should say in Nigeria. Um, and your numbers are now in, you know, the, the many thousands and millions <laughs> and millions. So who are the, the people on the streets today? The people on the streets are Nigerian youths from all, all walks of life. Because you, the, the, the protests have it even literally just only in Nigeria. You can see Nigerians in the UK coming out. You can see Nigerians in Dublin, in Chicago, in um, you know other countries all over the world coming out in their in their locations to say they stand against this. So it's a, it's a widely led youth movement that. Um, that I would say cannot be cannot be pointed to a leader, you know. All, what we have are frontliners, people that 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 their voices are respected and they can speak. Those are the frontliners. No leaders because it, the issue affects everybody. It affects everybody. So everybody's just coming out from their comfort zones. They're coming out from their locations to say, "Oh, you know what? We say no to this." There have been uh, police crackdowns against these major protests. I know people have been killed. Many people have been injured. Uh, can you just describe what the situation stands today? You know, we're speaking on Friday, October 16th. What What's the, the current situation, both in terms of the current number of protests you're seeing around the country and also the, the sort of government response to the protest? Okay, um, I would say that, like I said, notably, you can pinpoint the protests from the 72-hour protests. So I would say that youths that are coming out, have come out and are still coming out over the past um, one week, they they saw the resilience in the first um, set of youths that came out. They saw, they saw the fact that they were ready to die. They had their minds prepared. 
So now it's all about whatever is going to happen, let it happen. We need to speak up. So yeah, we we envisioned encounters with the police. We knew that um, definitely some of us we might lose our lives in the process. But our general belief is that it's better to die standing up for what is right and making it back than to just die um, in some police van or on the road shot by an errant police officer without knowing what you did, without ever being charged to court, you know. These guys just kill indiscriminately. You don't know what you did, you know. Even if you're accused of a crime, um, in a sane nation with with the rule of law in effect, they're being, they're going to be charged to court. But yeah, you don't see anyone being charged to court. They just carry out jungle justice. So we're tired. Yeah, um, some people have been killed. We have the notable incidents of of Jimo, um, Isiak in Oshogbo. We have um. All the protesters that were about two to three youths that were killed in Oyo State. We have some um, about four in Lagos. We have some in Oyo. We have shot ones. We actually have someone shot that is alive right now. It's part of our team. He's in the hospital. Um, we have injured ones. But in spite of that, uh, I think it does even manage to, it has even amplified the protest. Because people are now really hungry. People are now really hungry. What is the current status of the government's response to your demands? Have they given in at all to anything that you've demanded just yet? The the, the, the replies and the responses have been uncoordinated. You know, the government is saying they've banned SARS, but we're getting reports that these SARS officials, officials rather, have been seen in different locations across the nation. We're getting, um, the government is saying, oh, all forms of police brutality are stopped and extortion has stopped, but still getting reports in different locations that the police officers are still extorting some people. The government says, oh, now we've effected the bail is free, but even at the time our protesters have been arrested, the, this, these police officers are demanding money for bail from them. Um, we're protesting against police brutality. The government is reassuring us that police brutality have stopped, yet um, the protesters have been shot. The protesters have been killed by the same police officers. You see why um, um, I wouldn't say that we've gotten um, what would I call it? A strong response from the government. They've not responded because if they've responded, then all what we've been demanded would have stopped. The people who listen to this show, you know, they are people interested in foreign policy, international affairs. And what to me makes your movement so consequential outside of Nigeria, I think, is that, you know, as you describe, it's it's a youth led movement. The population of Nigeria is very young. And essentially what you're demanding are good governance reforms in, in the most consequential country in the region. And to me, it's both inspiring and, and fascinating that this youth-led movement um, could inspire and cause good governance reforms in Nigeria. I think what we've successfully done is to create a local movement that now is gone global. 
2020, you would agree with me, is such a peculiar year. You know, we've gone through so many things. We had um, rumors of a world war. We've gone through COVID-19. And now um, people went through lockdown. You know, they were home. They were restricted. And then you don't expect them to see um, um, injustice against their very self and not speak up. So I think what we've successfully done is to get people to speak out for themselves because, to be honest, most Nigerians um, do not, are not aware of their rights. They're not aware of things they should, they are normally allowed to do. You know, normally, normally a police officer is not supposed to be able to search your phone without you being accused of a crime, but... Now, when they see them on the on the road, and the, this police officers just ask for their phones, just give it over to them, which is wrong. Um, most Nigerians are scared. Um, it is tra- even translated to elections period where um, youths cannot come out because they believe that they do not hold any power in governance. You know, we operate a democracy in Nigeria, which is for the people, but the people are even too scared to to face the people that they elected into power. You know, and even just this year, uh, we had this outrage, national global outrage on the media um, by police brutality, which George Floyd was killed and Black Lives Black Lives Matter started. So it, it, that's why I said from the beginning that the fire has been building up. It has been building up. I think what we've gotten people to do is stand up for yourself and um, demand for accountability. You don't have to say it's none of my business or if I'm not directly affected, then it doesn't concern me. No, whatever concerns um, a youth, whatever concerns the youth in the nation concerns everybody else. Well, thank you. Uh, is there any fi- any final thoughts you want to leave uh, listeners uh, before we end the interview? The Nigerian youth, oh, they're tired of the victimization. or tired of being, of being tapped criminals when we go to other countries. We're tired of being um, painted bad with the image which some few um, have seen to cast um, successfully used to cast suspicions on us. The Nigerian youth is, the average Nigerian youth is a vibrant youth, hardworking, that are willing to work for themselves to make um, money and be comfortable. They know, they know, they know they don't want to be involved in crime. They don't want to be involved in fraud, which is the image I think um, some are pushing around about us. So the Nigerian youth, the average Nigerian youth is a youth that, that speaks up. It's a vibrant youth that talks that, with confidence. Anywhere they are, they, they, they always notice because of their confidence and vibrancy. They want to be heard. They want to speak up. They want to take part in governance. They want to change their own country. We cannot go, the average Nigerian youth doesn't want to go to other countries, be victimized, then come back to his own country and still be victimized. No, the average Nigerian youth wants a safe nation, a peaceful nation for all. So um, I think if I was supposed to be the world everybody listening out there to also stand up and support the Nigerian youth because we're not here for the violence. We're here for peace for our nation. We're here for a notable change. We do not just want to protest and go home. We want the whole world to know that this is what we're fighting for. 
we're not we're not fighting for what is wrong. We're actually on the right side. So the whole world should should listen to our pains and our demands and support us. Because the youths of today they say are the leaders of tomorrow. So what do we do when um the leaders of tomorrow are being killed today? Now we are Well, thank you so much for for your time and and for uh these thoughts. I appreciate your time. Thank, thank you. Thank you very much. All right, thank you all for listening. Thank you so much to Lauren Renew. That was very helpful and uh, frankly inspiring and you know, as I said at the outset, to the extent that this youth-led protest movement can inspire some enduring rule of law reforms in Nigeria, that would just be a, a big deal in Nigeria but also throughout the region and throughout the world. So a big thank you to her for explaining this all to me and and to us. All right, we'll see you next time. Thanks so much. Bye. Oh, and a disclaimer, the opinions expressed in this episode belong solely to those who express them. <laughs>